So bless us, God, with this man today, and bless him, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you again, Lydia, too, for sharing your testimony. So if you have your Bible, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 25. If you can remember, we were actually in 24, is where we stopped last week. So Matthew 6, 25 through 34. This is the Word of God. And, and I'm going to include some of the ways that you've heard this read before because the NLT, I think, sometimes is a little bit soft. Therefore, or I tell you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or clothes. Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly Father feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than they are. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. And why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith. So why do you worry about having enough food or drink or clothing? Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly Father already knows your needs. And this is where you would say, and seek first then the kingdom of God. But then in in LT it says, and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I want to show you where I spent the 4th of July 2017. Right there. That's how I spent 2017's 4th of July. You see what happened was my family and I were going to go tubing on the new river outside of Boone. And we were like, we have our own tubes we're going to go. And so I'm like, yes, this is awesome. I'm going to be an incredible man with my four-wheel drive Subaru. Actually, it's my daughter's. And so I pulled off onto what looks like a large shoulder of the road. But see, as you can tell, those bushes are not the level of the road. They're actually down. So the way this looks is the shoulder of the road's about this big, and then these bushes are up, and you're pulling onto this thing, and it looks like this big, wide, long shoulder, and then all of a sudden the side of your car goes, Foom! which was very disconcerting. So as I am stuck in this position right here, and of course I'm thinking to myself, this is my daughter's car, this is great, and then I kind of drive farther into it because I'm like, I'm a man, I can drive out of it. And that didn't work. And so as my brother and I got out of this car, like we're getting out of the top of a submarine because we have to like open the door like this and the hatch pops open and we're holding the door like this and all this kind of stuff. And we get out and we spend the entire afternoon. And this sweet guy, his name is Brian Bobolas. He is actually a, a professor at Appalachia. And we spent the day in his front yard waiting for AAA to come. And of course, when AAA comes, they don't tell you that the people that they're sending to you are almost an hour away. So they were coming to us to the middle of Watauga County from... Wilkesboro, or in that area, anyway. So they're driving up, and of course, if you're from that area, when you get to something like this, you do something. You get out of your big, awesome rig tow truck, and you go, mm. how'd Junes do that? Anyway, I was like, I'm so glad you're here, fix this. Um, in an incredible feat of redneck ingenuity, Oh my goodness, they got the truck there, they move it to here, they're doing this pulley, they have a pulley, they create it so that there's going to be, you know, just enough tension to pull the car right up here, and they pull it a little bit, and they angle it, and they angle it, and the next thing I know, the car is out, on the road, no scratches, no whatsoever, nothing, and I'm just kind of going, wow, but for three and a half hours, 
I did not feel that way. And so verse 27 here in this text says something very incredible. Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add even a moment to your life? But what I will tell you is that I didn't have any added moments to my life, but what I had was burden added to my time. Worry and anxiety will add burden to your time. And if you're thinking about this, how was that hour that you spent out in the waiting room at the hospital versus the hour that you spent in the hammock at the beach, right? One felt like it had lead involved in it. The other, you're only sure, might have been five minutes, but it was actually an hour. Why? Because worry and anxiety added weight and anxiety to your existence, to your life. Now, you know what? 19 through 24 in this past text, Matthew 6, 19 through 24, we talked about greed. And greed is the forgotten sin or the overlooked sin. It's the sin that I'm pretty sure I don't struggle with. But as we get to 25 through 34, we get to worry. And worry, unfortunately, is the acceptable sin. It's, it's the, that sin's not really a sin. It's okay. But at its core, worry is looking at God and saying, I don't believe you're big enough. I don't believe you're good enough. I don't believe you'll keep your promises. That's essentially what it is. If you think about this as, as you and a child, if you're standing there with this glass of milk in front of your child, and you're like, here, you want some milk, and your child goes, no, you're not going to give it to me. You're like, what? You know, what is this, 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 this? rebelliousness at its core that's what worry is and so before we go any further in this i want to talk just briefly first of all it's very simple in in some ways what does jesus say about worry in the text don't i mean don't ever think he just says don't don't worry but also we have to we have to take a step back and go there are people whose past whether there was abuse whether there was neglect whether there was whatever their past makes them more prone to worry there are people whose chemical balance in their body or their neurological pathways make them more prone to worry. And so I want to speak compassionately and say my job is not to condemn, but hopefully the Holy Spirit will do some convicting and working. Thirdly about that, if you're someone as we're talking about this, as you're reading about this, and you go, man, that's me. I'm someone that willfully nurtures worry so that it turns into something greater and worse. If that's you, Get some help, and it's all good. We want to encourage you to get some help. I talked with a counselor this week, uh, Rachel Hammer, who's over here, and, and Todd Bird. We have some incredible Christian counselors in our community, and they would tell you if, you, if that's you, and that's your propensity, and that's your leaning, and that's your way to go, it, there is nothing wrong with going and talking and working on that thing, working on this so that worry doesn't blossom into even greater sins. But the second, but, but the other, the part B of that whole thing, those one, two, three, is we can't step away from the fact that worry, this willful, nourished worry is, is a sin. It's looking at God and saying, I can't trust you. You're not going to come through for me. You're not big enough. You're not good enough. And we also, underneath that, want to ask, want to at least be able to ask the question, am I doing something to magnify worry in my life? Or am in my distress or in my issues, am I magnifying God to myself? Because you can't do both. You can't magnify your problems and magnify God at the same time. You kind of do one or the other. So we at least have to ask the question. We at least have to go, this is a place, it's a safe place where we can talk about this tough thing and get down to what Jesus says about it. So let's look at verse 25, and we'll start right here, right at the top, and go to the text. So this, this verse begins with in the, in the NIV, therefore... And so in the NLT, it says, so I tell you. And so what he's telling us is that 25 is connected to 24. And so what he's trying to tell us is that worry is something that is connected to your lordship. Remember verse 24, you can't have money as a master 
and God as your master, you'll love one and hate the other. And so worry is akin to who is your Lord. What is the lordship in your life? What does it look like? Is Christ the Lord of your life? Or are you constantly struggling with giving lordship of your life to other things? And so notice that when Jesus talks about worry, he does two things. He talks about things that are life and death, and he talks about things that are day to day. Talk about things that are life and death and day to day. Because food and drink is a, is a life or death thing, but it's also a day to day thing. Clothing, life or death. Clothing, but this is why the movie Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone is hilarious. He's rolling around in a tank top and it's like 25 below zero. And so he's like, and the cliff is over there. You know? But it's a life or death thing that we're talking about here. Clothing, food, and drink. But notice also that in this there is hidden as well the response that Christ has back to Satan in the temptation that Jesus is led out to in the wilderness that happens in Matthew 4, 4. And Satan encourages him. He says, hey, Jesus, if you're really God, turn this rock into bread. And what does Jesus say? Don't you know that life consists of more than that of eating and drinking? Man does not live by bread alone, but by God's every word. And so Jesus, even again, is expanding this idea of, don't you know God's going to take care of us and God's involved? Verse 26. Now notice Jesus also doesn't say, stop worrying, just stop. And leave it there. He doesn't do that. He gives you something to do instead of worrying. And so if you can imagine all these people being outside, he says, look. Look at these birds. Look at them right here. Look. I'm giving you something to do. Look at these birds. Now, it's not about the life of birds because you go, well, of course birds can't work. When was the last time you saw birds working? You know? But he says it's not about birds. It's about the Lord. Look at them. Look at how all of nature is dependent on God. All of nature is dependent on God. And guess what? You are part of nature. We know from Genesis chapter 2 that people were created as the crowning jewel created in God's own image. So you're part of nature. And he describes to them about the birds, describes to the people, that the birds have a kind of richness that, that they don't have. The wealth that the birds have is the wealth of dependence. Now most of the time when we're listing assets and liabilities, we would list someone's dependence as a liability. But Jesus in here is saying, don't you understand that dependence on God is the greatest wealth and the asset because you're taking your need and you're taking it to the only one who can fully supply it, who can fully do it for you. All of nature is dependent on God. And you might worry because you go, no one cares. And he says, listen, God cares for you. You're so much more precious than you could ever even imagine. So verse 27, verse 27 introduces the time element of this. Now remember what we said? We said worry may not add time to your day, but it'll add weight to your life burden to your life and so the time element is that there can be a bondage in this you can either be bonded to the point in time in your life to where you can go god is not big enough to deliver me from the things of my past nor is god good enough to be there for these problems i can anticipate in the future and so it's it's this it's this time element but then also the other part as a worship leader i want to say to you is this do you know what day you have to worship the lord today that's it no other day is promised to you No other morning is promised to you. So today is the day that you can either worship God or worry, but you can't do both at the same time. So when you choose to worry instead of worship, or you choose to magnify your problems instead of magnifying the Lord to yourself in your own life, you're choosing to lay up your worship for some other time that is not guaranteed to you. That's what worship does. I mean, that's what what worry does. So verses 28 and 29 are joined together. They're this joined together verse. And so as he talks about clothing in this, we've got to remember that clothing was also a symbol of status, the different kinds you would have. Back in the day, it would, have been, it would have been more that the color showed your status. We would say that the design or the brand showed your status. But again, it's this idea of are you a consumer who is consumed 
with consumption? Are you a consumer that's consumed with consumption? And so most of the time where we feel worry and anxious is when we compare ourselves to each other, right? We think we, think we talk to somebody and we have this conversation with them and we kind of go, yeah, what's your safe number in the bank account that you have to have? And we're thinking we know that our safe number is like $2,000 and we're good to go. And they're like, well, if I have less than 20000 and all of a sudden we go, and this comparison all of a sudden gives us worry and gives us anxiety. Or, or that we look at how somebody else is doing and we're like, well, I'm not doing that well. What's wrong? What can I do? What can and comparison, as we would say among each other, is the thief of joy. But Jesus has no problem at all with comparison, does he? He doesn't do compare like we think, though. He compares the lilies of the field with Solomon dressed on the throne, adorned with gold and all kind of rich garments. And he says, listen, he invites this comparison because the lilies and the birds have this wealth of dependence that dwarfs the wealth of material goods. And then in verse 30, Verse 30, we get the beautiful part of this, and I'm going to come back to this, and this is just so you know, heads up, this is how we're going to wrap the sermon up. But the opposite of worry would be faith, would be trust. And this trust in verse 30 is saying, God can care for me better than I can care for myself. I don't want to be a consumer that is consumed with consumption. God can care for me better than I can care for myself. And then 31 and 32 also go together. And so this is an incredible part right here. And so he's simply saying, when you act like this, when you worry about these two things, you're acting like a pagan. Now, we don't necessarily relate to pagans. I'm going to come back and pick that up. But he, I would say, when you act like this, you're acting like a practical atheist. Now, a practical atheist is not true, a true atheist. A practical atheist is, I will profess that I believe in Jesus, but in my actions and in my day-to-day belief, I act like he's non-existent. That's a practical atheist. With my words, I will profess him. With my life, I will not confess him. But back in the day, he said, you're acting like pagans when you do this. Now, what were pagans? Pagans, especially in that context with the Greek and the Roman god pantheon, pagans, they were some silly stuff going on with their gods. Their gods had like these junior high feuds with each other. Their gods couldn't get along with each other. Their gods had jealousy because this god wanted to be with that god, and this god was jealous about this god, and you better come in and worship this god this way and all this kind of stuff. And they're all pretty impotent as well, by the way. You know, I mean this in a, they didn't have a lot of power. I don't know about their other part. But anyway, as, as that parts go, think about this. This God over here is the God you pray to for rain. But this God is over here is the God that you pray to for harvest. This God over here is the God that you pray to if you and your wife can have a baby. This God is the God that you pray to over here if you're going to go on a sea traveling. And by the way, they don't even communicate with each other. You've got to send this God who's the messenger. Really? But Jesus is saying that's how you're acting when you worry about these things. You're acting like God's not in control, that he doesn't care, that there are these fickle junior high gods up there. He said, that's not what's going on. Now, we're going to come back to that a lot here in a second. And then verse 33, verse 33 is actually a reflection back on verse 21. Seek first the kingdom of God. We know that part. If you make the kingdom of God your priority, what was verse 21 earlier? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what he's simply saying is, Where your thoughts are, where your mind is, where your purpose is, if you are taking it to the Lord, if God's work in your life is primary, then everything else is going to fall into place. Worry actually is run out of town on a rail by the kingdom of God. Just escorted out. It cannot exist in the same place. And then verse 34 is beautiful. Verse 34 is beautiful because verse 34 is also a reference, also referenced again in John 16, 33. And in John 16, 33, he says this, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. 
Weak Christianity, false teaching, and immature Christianity is like, if I give my life to Jesus, everything's going to be great. It's going to be pie in the sky by and by. This prosperity gospel, if I just give to the Lord, then everything else will be taken care of. Jesus never says that. He says, guess what? There's stuff to worry about today, and there's going to be stuff to worry about tomorrow. There's always going to be cause for worry. But where does he, where does he do? He, he doesn't leave you there. He says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart, I've overcome the world. What you have to worry about, yeah, there's cause for worry. But is God better than that? Is God good? Is God, as Lydia said, that big? Is he really? So again, before we embark on some of this, all right, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Again, I want you to hear me. Some of us, some of us are people that, you know, we're not worriers. Some of us are like, I know, I'm a worrier. That's me. I'm a worrier. So what I'm going to talk about is that you know, there's the feeling of worry that comes up onto you, but then this, where, where the sin part comes in is, do you willfully nourish it? Do you willfully nourish it? And what are those things? And we have to at least be able to ask the questions. I'm not coming to go, I'm just going to go, can we talk about it? Can, can we look into it? So point number one, just because there is plenty of cause to worry does not mean that we willfully nourish worry. So let's just come right off the bat. There is plenty of cause for people to worry. That's, that's why I've taken to going, I, I kind of only watch the local news at the end of the day, even though it's just kind of crazy, because the national news just makes me sad. But if you're like, sometimes, some of us, we can't even do that because we internalize it and we're like, how are you doing? I don't know, I don't know what's going on in North Korea right now. Really? Are you and Kim Jong just kind of tweeting at each other? I don't even know what's going on. I mean, but the internal, we, we willfully nurture things in our lives. And so in verse 34, he says this, so don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And, 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 he's, and what he's saying is Jesus is talking about a willfully nurtured anxiety. What am I doing to feed my worry? Not starve my worry, but feed my worry. Because what you nurture in your life grows to the point where you can't control it. What you nurture in your life grows to the point where you can't control it. So there is a scary part and a beautiful part. And the scary part is nurturing your worry feeds it means that all of a sudden it consumes you. And so just like I said before, all of a sudden you were concerned about consumption, but now something else is consuming you, and it's worry. And I love, uh, Wes Barkley did an awesome job this morning with a children's sermon in the early, early service, and he had um, one of the Hardy Boys put this backpack on that had all these little dumbbells in it, and he was like standing straight, you know, and then all of a sudden he put the backpack on, and he was like, oh. You know, and, he, and, and Wes was like, how do you like that? He's like, I don't like it, you know. But that's exactly what we're doing. We're, what are we nurturing that's giving us this burden? And so come back again to this honesty part. Some people are more prone to worry. Whether it's neurologically, it's how they are. Whether it's something from their past. Whether it's chemically, just kind of how their body is. And if that is you, if that's you, please come talk to us. That's what we're here for. We're not here to condemn you. We're here to help. We're here to go, we know people, we, we can talk with you. Let's talk about scripture, let's talk about things that we can do. Not just don't worry, but what can we do? What can we replace that with? But for a moment I want us to ask, how am I nurturing worry in my life? Because Jesus says, there's always going to be cause to worry, but that doesn't mean that we nurture it. How am I nurturing my worry and starving my faith? Because you can't, you can't nurture your worry and nurture your faith at the same time. You're doing one or the other. So I want to talk to you about your enemy in this. 
Your enemy is Satan, and Satan is your enemy. And Satan, when it comes to worry especially, or it comes to really any temptation of sin, he will make you think as you get up to it that you have no other choice but to do it. Right? Well, I've come this far, and I've done this, and I've already not done this. Well, I might as well just do that. And if we look at Genesis 3, 1 through 5, there's this incredible part where he's tempting Eve and Adam to take the fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that, he literally makes it seem like y'all would be stupid not to do this. You'd be stupid. Why would you not do this? And then, of course, Eve takes it and sees it and sees that it's good. And then Adam is like right there and boom. But Satan will try to get you to have the lie that you have no choice but to sin. You have no choice. You'd be dumb not to. But I want you to look at verses 26 and 28. So if you have them in your Bible, let's read them again. Look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly Father feeds them and you are far more valuable to him than they are. Far more valuable. Verse 28. Why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their own clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Jesus is inviting you to do something. He's not just saying don't. He's saying as you don't do this, do something else. Jesus is inviting you to do something else, and that something else is to realize that you are a part of nature just like the birds and just like the lilies. He's not just saying, don't just worry, but in rather he's saying, take in the evidence of God's care. For all, that, all the ways that he cares for you, you still don't even think of yourself as nearly as precious as God thinks about you. You are so much more precious to him. You can't just not worry, period, but instead you need to replace that worry with something. And so that's why he says in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. And so really, I'm not just saying, saying this flippantly, but the antidote to worry really is prayer. The antidote to worry is looking in God's word. And the way that this works, though, however, is that when you, were, when you don't decide that you're not going to worry and then you do something else, you are taking your worry and you're pushing it across the table and you're giving it to the Lord. Now, the problem is, is that your flesh and Satan intercept that on the other way, and they go, no, I'll take it back. And you know exactly how this works. You go to a prayer meeting, you pray about it, you're like, I feel great. Fifteen minutes later, you're like, why? Because immediately it creeps back in, your flesh working in concert with the enemy, pushing you to take back control of it. But instead, look up and look at it. See what's going on. Ask the Holy Spirit. So in your prayer, truly ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, give me eyes to see all the evidence of God's bigness, all the areas of his provision. Holy Spirit, help me set my mind on the kingdom. And I want to tell you the truth. In my life, I can give you one, my short testimony as well, but in my life, it has been the gift that I've almost been able to see it. Now, I'll tell you the truth. When, when Molly was in the eighth grade, some of you have heard me tell this story before, but it's part of my testimony. Molly's in the eighth grade. She was at a soccer camp. Long story short, she got shoved into the corner of a brick wall, hitting her head on it right here. We meet the ambulance at Fry Hospital, and Fry Hospital says, we can't do anything for her. She may not walk, talk, speak, whatever again. Put her in the ambulance, intubated her, and said, we got to take her to a special at Baptist right now. Someone is breathing for her in the bag because they don't have the machine that breathes automatically for you. I left Danielle with her to ride with her in the back. She is screaming and convulsing blood everywhere. It's a parent's greatest day. And Jesse Sloan got in the car with me. And we take off, not really abiding by the speed limit, but kind of, to Baptist Hospital. We leave before the ambulance leaves. About somewhere around Statesville, the ambulance passes us. 
And in that moment, I knew that my world, my world was in the back of that ambulance right then and there. And it was incredible. And I've told this before, but it, it, it still shakes me. I could look and see that I was standing on the precipice and I could, with everything that I chose, jump into despair, worry, and anxiety. And, it was, it, and, and the beautiful thing about it was, I didn't have to look very far for the fact that God was caring for me because Jesse was sitting next to me. He was sitting next to me. I, had, I could reach out and touch that God had already, even providing for me in the midst of this mess. God's providing for me right now. He's providing for me right now. And I, and I go, with everything, I can't jump into that. God hadn't abandoned me. Why would I abandon him at this moment? And, and it was just this willful kind of like, all right, I'm stepping back. God's got this. Do I wish to go live that day again? No. But it feeds into my next one. Is that nurtured worry robs you of your testimony. Nurtured worry robs you of your testimony. Why do you think in verses 32 and 33 he says, don't be like the pagans when you worry? Have you ever heard a pagan give great testimony? I've, I've never heard someone to be like, listen, I'm a pagan. The other day I was like doing my pagan things. And in my pagan entity, like the pagan, pagan, pagan like came and like did this for me and it was awesome. And I just want to testify about that. I've never heard that. Never. Pagans don't testify about God. They just talk about the ways that they themselves are God and the things that they are doing essentially. But nurtured worry robs you of your testimony. It takes away your testimony for you. You're behaving like a pagan, Jesus says. And pagans are these, again, they're these at the time, their gods had these junior high relationships. They were silly. It's laughable now. The reason why Percy Jackson and all those things are, or the Clash of the Titans or whatever, are entertaining to us is we're like, what is that Apollo going to do next? You know, what is Poseidon? I mean, they're silly. Exactly. But for us, we don't act like that as much as we act like practical atheists. With, with our mouths, we profess Jesus, but with our, with our heart and with our mind, we worry. And eventually, what we do with our heart and our mind comes out with our mouths. Worry, well, you know, we can, when we worry, well, yes, I trust that Jesus can get me to heaven, but I'm pretty sure that he can't handle this issue right here. You think about that? We trust God with forgiveness and salvation. And, and yeah, let's not take away from the cross. That is it. That's the pinnacle. But if he can do that, why would we think that he doesn't see these little details right here? But that's what worry does to us. I'll trust you with salvation, but I'm pretty sure I can't trust you with this thing over here. And so let's talk about the two, if we're going to break it down, it was oversimplified again. But there's two types of people. Some hear God's promise and they read God's promise and they go, all right, cool. Some hear God's promise and they hear his provision and they go, eh, I don't know about that. And so God said, oh, well, I'm going to give you an opportunity in your life to see that I'm going to come through for you. And so you have a choice in that moment where something doesn't go your way, where it looks like something's not going to happen, where it looks like you're not going to make it or whatever's not going to happen. And God says, are you going to trust me or not? Are you going to trust me or not? And when you worry, God goes, you're blowing the opportunity for me to be able to come through for you. Pray about it. Seek me. Seek first my kingdom. If you worry, though, you rob yourself of this and you just worry and you worry your way out of it. I'm not saying the worry keeps God from working in your life, but worry keeps you from recognizing it. If you worry the whole time, well, I worried about it, so I better worry about this next thing, too. And I worried about this, so I better worry about this next thing, too. But when you trust that God is going to come through, even if your faith is weak in him, 
It is better to have weak faith in the true God than all the faith in the world in a false God. It is better to have weak faith in the one true God than all the faith in the world in a false God. So when he comes through for you, all of a sudden you're not coming up and saying dumb things, cliches, and someone else's testimony. But when you are out walking around other people who don't know the Lord, you can step up and say, I want to tell you something. It's not easy, but let me tell you how this God that I worship faithfully came through for me. Otherwise, you're walking around saying stupid things to people like this. God's never going to give you more than you can handle. Let's just... The next time someone says that, be like, do you want to sit down or do you want me to sit you down? Because that is a lie from the pit of hell. God is absolutely going to give you more than you can handle. Absolutely. What does it say, John 16, 33? What does he say here in Matthew 6, 33? No, it's 6:34. excuse me. There's going to be plenty to worry about today. Plenty to worry about tomorrow. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. God is going to give you more than you can handle so that at the end of the day, when God steps in and handles it, you can go, I didn't do it, God did it. You can go, I, I, you, no glory for me, God gets the glory. God is the rescuer, God is the hero, God is what came through. And do you realize what that is? That is your testimony. That is your testimony. But you don't have a testimony if it's just really like, God's going to give me more than you can handle, man. <laughs> I don't think anyway. Let go and let God. How about you give the world the true testimony that God is working in your life? And so I want to ask you these questions. I want to gently ask them to you. What kind of witness to the strength of God in this world are you in the middle of your worry? What kind of witness are you? I want you to ask these questions. Am I fighting worry? Am I just fighting it? Or am I just giving into it? Do I just give into it? Do I feed it? And, and this, is, this, is, this is a tender one, but I at least want to ask the question. Because in our society, we are the most medicated society in the world. And I'm not saying that medication and all these things is the wrong answer. I simply want to ask you the question, am I medicating something away just so I don't have to look a little bit deeper? Am I, med- am I self-medicating so much so that I don't have to deal with this? I, I just don't want to deal with it. And that looks all different kind of ways. That's prescription or that's Budweiser. It could be either. But I just want, to ask, just want to at least ask you the question. Am I robbing my testimony of God's faithfulness with nurturing anxiety? And, and I, I just simply want to say, and then again, grace, guys, grace, grace. If you're someone that struggles with worry, join the crowd of people. We struggle with worry. God's grace is sufficient. He will hold us. He will carry us. He's not left us here alone as orphans, but given us the Holy Spirit and given us each other. And the last thing is this, and I told you that we would come back to verse 30. So here we are back at verse 30. And the last thing is this. God cares for you better than you care for yourself. God provides for you better than you provide for yourself. God loves you more than you love yourself. If God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers of the field, don't you think he will certainly care for you? And then he says this as well. He says, you are so much more precious than they are. You're so much more precious than they are. Now, this whole idea of, of counting on people, of counting on someone, of, of counting on God, of counting on his provision, of being dependent on him, you know, I, I can tell you a little bit of what that looks like when we go on a mission trip to a foreign country that speaks Spanish. We go up to people, and, and people in our group are incredibly bold when I'm with them because they will walk up to anyone and start talking because they go, oh, Pastor Paul knows Spanish. And I'm like, you guys are putting a lot of faith in my last time I took Spanish was 12th grade of high school. 
And so they'll be like, hey, man, what's going on? I just came here to tell you about Jesus. Pastor Paul, come over here. And I'm like, what's going on? Tell this dude about Jesus. And I'm like, conozco usted a Jesús? Sí. You know, I mean, I, and I'm like, you guys are putting a lot of faith in someone that doesn't care for you as well as you think they do. Who can't who, You think I can provide for you much better than I actually can. But we cannot overestimate God. See, we overestimate people all the time, but we underestimate God. As big as we think God is, he's bigger. As great as we think he is, he's greater. As deep and as wide as we think his love and his mercy is, it's deeper and wider. God cares for you more than you care for yourself. God can provide for you better than you can care for yourself. And the last thing is God loves you even more than you love yourself. It's not just this big overarching care of the cross. That is so important. That is everything we base everything on. That's where we look But the way that the Holy Spirit works when we come to God and we choose not to nurture our worry and anxiety and cause it to grow, but instead we seek first God's kingdom, is that the Holy Spirit opens us up and we're able to see all the little details of how God works for us in so many different ways. I love it when I see these couples, and sometimes couples are better at it, and sometimes couples are just pack rats, but they keep everything that each other gives each other. And they keep it. And you know what, you you even say, you know, I I kept these notes that you passed me when we were in the eighth grade. You know, I kept the mash that you did. You know, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I, kept, I kept, I saw, I, I've still got all these things. But you know what we typically do with all that with the, when it comes to the Lord in our life? We just shove it out and we go, all right, what have you done for me today? But the Holy Spirit goes, hang on just a second. Let me peel all this back so you can not only see the cross, which is the most incredible and it's the greatest gift ever, but you can see all these other little things. All these ways that God is telling you every day how much he loves you. That he loves you more than you love yourself. He cares for you more than you care for yourself. And he can provide for you better than you can actually provide for yourself. If God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you? My invitation to you today is not just don't worry. It'd be wonderful if it was that simple. But instead, exchange what you're doing for something else. Exchange your worry for a willful pursuit of God. And you're like, man, you're oversimplifying it. I know. The gospel's simple. The gospel is truly simple. And you know what? Every time we're tempted with sin, it's really that simple, right? Choose to obey or choose to do what we know we're not supposed to do. Are there other forces that are working on you that make it harder for some people than others? Yep, it is. But that's why God gave us one another. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus Christ walked among us so that he would know our very troubles and minister to us exactly the way we need. If you're someone that's kind of like, man, I'm convicted by this, I worry, let us know so we can help you, so we can get you help, and let us come together and seek after God's kingdom first, the greatest antidote to this whole thing. Let me pray for us and we'll continue in worship. Jesus, we are warriors. God, we are people that can't let go of things. We're people that want to hold on to things because for some reason we feel like if we let you have it, you're going to mess it up or you're not going to make us happy or whatever, Lord God. And Jesus, we don't want to make light of the struggles in our life. And we're so thankful that you did give us Lydia to show us that, God, we do. Some people among us are struggling with what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear, Lord God. And Jesus, I pray that we would honestly, not flippantly, 
testify that you are a big God, that you are a good God. Lord God, that all that we do, Lord Jesus, is nothing compared to what you have done for us. All that we expect in other people, Lord God, we under-expect what you have done and will do and are doing for us. And we reflect, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what the Lord has in store for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, Lord God. So Jesus, we pray that you would strengthen us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Help us to truly seek you first and remember that you love us more than we could ever know and you love us more than we love ourselves. It's in your awesome name we pray, amen.